Welcome to the Home Church Podcast. My name's Kenny, and I serve as the lead pastor here at Home Church, and we gather in Maiden, North Carolina. We're so glad you tuned in to today's episode, and we hope that this episode will help encourage you and inspire you as you continue to follow Jesus step by step. Good morning and welcome to Home Church. Uh, again, my name's Kenny, and it's uh, an unbelievable honor to, to be the lead pastor here at Home Church. I'm glad you're here. And so uh, I don't know about you, but um, I actually really love and miss my hometown. Anybody like actually love your hometown where you grew up? <laughs> okay, a couple of you guys. Uh, some folks are a little confused about that. So, But I, I really do. I, I love the hometown that I grew up in, and it's called Clover. And uh, it's just south of the border in South Carolina. Uh, it's in York County, just south of Charlotte. And man, it's a lot like Maiden in a lot of ways. Uh, it is a small town. There's probably more cows there than there are people. Uh, football is the town religion, and the school turns into Mecca uh, in a lot of ways. And so, but man, I, I loved it. This is where all my family was. It was a great uh, small town. It's been growing uh, since since then. Um, but it's there's something interesting about the way that we connect to and sometimes have feelings and love like our hometown. Um, this is true for me. And so I remember the first time that I moved away from my hometown. Of course, most of us get excited to move away, right? We're, we, we actually want to move away from our hometown. Uh, we want to grow up. We kind of want to get out of this little small town or whatever that might be. And, but for me, and I was the same way, but when I, when I actually did that, um, I got to be honest, I, I kind of missed it a little bit. There were some things that I would miss uh, about it, first of all, like my mom, my mom paying for everything. That was always nice. So, um, but there were things about this little town that I actually look back on and I, and I loved and I appreciated and I enjoyed. I don't know if that's, that's true for you, but um, I, I did. I enjoyed growing up in Clover. There, I think there's just something special uh, about our hometown. And so um, here's what's cool. Now that I've been away from my hometown for many years now, I get an opportunity because it has grown. I'll meet people who actually know where Clover is, and that's always a thrill. Um, when in, you're in different places, you're like, wait, you know where Clover is? Um, it's kind of like uh, Denver's one of those things as well, right? So you tell people, oh, I'm from Denver. They're like, Colorado, every time. And you're like, no, Denver, North Carolina. And they're like, where? <laughs> it, it's an interesting thing, right? Um, but as I moved away and I stayed away, my fondness and the things that I actually looked back on grew. Like my love of my hometown, it continued to grow the more distance I had from it and the fewer times that I would actually be able to go home and to visit. And then when I'd meet people out and about who actually knew where Clover was, or especially if they were from Clover, we'd always talk about the same things, right? We'd ask like, well, hey, how's the football team looking this year, Right. Um, in my hometown, one of the, the big highlights is the, the Coraliers, which is the, the high school choir program. It's unbelievable. So we would ask about, well, how are the Coraliers? Are they just as great this year as always? And then inevitably, we would also ask, when's the last time you had a grilled cheeseburger from the Eagle's Nest, right? And that's like our hometown joint. That's where we would go and eat and hang out and all that kind of stuff. And as I continued to be further and further away, those things were sweet to me. And it was something that I looked fondly on. And and so I want you to have that image of like your hometown and the things that you love, people that you love and that you miss. And I want you to now take a moment and imagine what would happen if you were out and about and you ran into someone and you brought up your hometown and they told you that actually your hometown has been deserted. 
that there are the, the factories in town have been burned down, that, that the city gates were ripped down and they were on fire, and that people had left your town and it does not really exist anymore. I, I wonder for you, like for me, if I heard that about Clover, I'd be really, really sad because I have so many memories there. It's a special place to me. My family is also there. So to find out that all of these things are broken and, and in disrepair and my family has been spread from our hometown, that would be a really sad thing to hear about. It would make me really sad. Well, I want you to take that, that idea just a step further, and I want you to imagine that the holy city of Jerusalem was your hometown, and that you are part of the nation of Israel, and that you are not only a part of the family, but you are one of God's chosen people. And you knew about wars and you knew about exile, but you uh, had been outside of the town and really disconnected to some folks. You had a job that you were now invested in and you were doing, and you had some friends come and visit and you asked them, hey, how's it going back in the old city? How's it going back home? And how you would feel if they told you that it's been burned. The gates have been set on fire it stands in rubble, and all of our friends and family are gone. This is the backdrop. This is the setting that we have for this series that we're about to walk through over the next few weeks. It's called From Rubble to Revival. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to walk through one of my favorite books in all of Scripture, the book of Nehemiah. And we meet Nehemiah in a really interesting place, and I want to tell you a little bit about his story. But before I do that, um, anybody in the room, are you historians? You like history? A couple of folks in the room? Good. Uh, I, I actually like history. And so before I kind of dive into Nehemiah, I need for you to kind of wrap your head around some history of God's people and how we got to this place where we're about to start. So it, it all starts back when God has this encounter with a man that he finds faithful named Abraham. God makes a covenant with him, and, and he comes into relationship with him, and he blesses him, and he says that I'm going to bless you and your family, and you're going to become a great nation, and anyone who opposes you or curses you, I'm going to oppose them, and I'm going to curse you. And so God, in this moment with Abraham, starts his family, and Abraham has uh, a son named Isaac, and then Isaac has a son named Jacob. You've heard this. You've heard of this lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the founding fathers of our faith, and this is where the family of God started. Well, Jacob had an, an, a pretty crazy encounter with God where he wanted to wrestle him for his blessing, and he did, and, and he wrestled him. He walked away with a bum leg, but he also walked away with a changed name and the beginning of a nation. God had a moment where he met with Jacob, and he wrestled with him, and he actually gave him and changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And there, the nation of Israel started with Jacob. Jacob would have 12 sons that eventually would turn into the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And at some point along their journey, they would take off to Egypt to try to survive famine. And rather than surviving the famine, they were brought in to slavery from Pharaoh. They spent 400 years in slavery as a nation. They were growing in stature, and, the, and Pharaoh was afraid, so he put them in slavery. And so for 400 years, God's people were living and raising themselves in slavery. And then the reason that they ended up in that place was because they were being disobedient to God. So 
kind of a pattern that we'll see throughout Scripture. When God's people are disobedient, he finds ways to draw them back to himself to be obedient. And so along the way, in slavery, God uh, called a man named Moses. Anyone ever heard of Moses? We call him the deliverer. God spoke to him in a burning bush and called him to go and to free his people. And Moses did, led his people, uh, led the nation of Israel out of slavery, out of captivity, and not quite into freedom yet, but into the wilderness for 40 years. And again, they walked in the wilderness even though they were free because they were, you guessed it, disobedient. And then finally, God brought them into the promised land. And they lived in freedom for over a thousand years. And then again, God's people, because of disobedience, found themselves in a precarious place. Uh, I want to make sure I get some of my dates right, especially for you historians. You're going to hold me to it. Uh, Around the year 586 BC, there was a Persian king named Nebuchadnezzar uh, who came and ultimately took care of and destroyed the nation of Israel and sent them into what we call exile, sent them into Babylon. Uh, This is where they would live outside of Jerusalem, scattered from their friends and family and under Persian rule. And they did that for 70 years. 70 years. This is one of my favorite things to always point point out about the exile and the Babylonian rule over God's people is this is where the weeping prophet Jeremiah speaks, Jeremiah 29, 11. You guys know this. It's on many of your coffee cups, right? It says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and all that stuff, right? We love that. Most people don't know that 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 was given in the midst of being exiled in Babylon. It would be another 60 some odd years before they would actually experience the freedom that that verse came. So be sure you're careful about just quoting that verse. (laughs) You never know. 70 years of being in exile, and finally, in the year 444 BC, we have a conversation among a boy who has been exiled and now has a job outside of his family and friends in Jerusalem, a young man named Nehemiah. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to join me in the book of Nehemiah. If you don't have your Bible, uh, you can pull up the Home Church app. Uh, there we have sermon notes where you can follow right along as well. If you don't have that, maybe you have the YouVersion Bible app. You can check in there. There's a live event happening right now. And if you don't have any of those things, uh, we'll have some scripture right here on the screen for you. And so here we meet this man named Nehemiah. And I wanna share with you as we kick off this series, uh, the first little bit of his story. Here's what the word of the Lord says in Nehemiah chapter one, starting in verse one. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakeliah, in the month of Kislev, which is around the idea of November and December, In the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, okay, so he's kind of giving us an idea of where he is, and by the way, that ain't in Jerusalem, (laughs) all right? Uh, Verse 2, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah, which is one of the 12 tribes of Israel, with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So Nehemiah has his brother, we believe this maybe to be his actual physical brother, if not at least a brother in in the family, uh, came and visited him. And here's the thing, he does what many of us do. He asks, yo, how are things at home? How's it going back in the hometown? How are things going with the family? 
This is what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah has been exiled and separated from Jerusalem and the people of God, just like many people have. And he has this moment where he's asking about, and there's this interesting word, remnant. This is what's left. The remnant of God's people who are still in Jerusalem. He's basically saying, yo, I know that it hadn't been good, but how, how bad is it? How bad is it in our hometown? And verse 3 says this. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Question for you. What has happened in your life? What's the last thing that has come about in your life that you've encountered that when you heard about the news of it, it sent you to weeping and mourning? What's that been for you? For, for some of you, it's maybe been the loss of a loved one. You heard that someone passed away. Uh, maybe for someone, it's been you sat in your boss's office and they let you know you're being laid off or you've been let go. Some of you, it was your spouse walked in and said, we're done. This is it. Others, maybe it's just disappointment in life, and finally you just, you're just sick of being disappointed. You're sick of just being sick, right? For others, it was a, a breakup that you weren't expecting. Maybe for you, it was a diagnosis that you heard that you were not expecting to hear. See, I just wonder, for, for, for many of us, there's been this moment where we've heard something that has really grabbed hold of us and broken our heart and has led us to tears, led us to weeping, led us to seeking out God. wonder what that's been for you. But here we have Nehemiah, and the thing that leads him to this place is the fact that he found out that the wall of Jerusalem has been burned and its people are in trouble and in disgrace. Now, I don't know about you, but I think about that, and I'm like, okay, I, I kind of get it, but why would a wall, why would this about his hometown send this man to weeping? Part of it is you got to understand what the wall of Jerusalem represents. The wall of Jerusalem to God's people represents two things. Number one is it represents, represents God's protection over and around his people. Think about that, like if you had your backyard and you had a, a fence and that's what protected your backyard and all of a sudden it was down, you would feel a little less protected. You would feel like the thing that was holding out things now would allow them in. Also, you would also know if you got kids and dogs, the thing that was protecting you from getting out or things that you wanted to stay in from getting out now gave the ability for it to get away. The other thing that it would represent is these walls around these cities would be a sign of power. This would be a sign of power, and really what it is, is it being in trouble and in burned and in disgrace, it means that God's reputation would be in rubble. This is what led him to weeping. Because he already knew that people had been exiled. He already knew that his hometown had been taken over. He already knew all these things. So then it led me to ask the question, why then when his brother comes, he already knows some of these things, what is it now in this moment that leads him to weeping? Why now? 
He already knew about the disappointment. He already knew about the destruction in a lot of ways. What was it about this moment now that led him to weeping? This is where we start this idea of rubble to revival. Uh, I want to give you a spoiler alert. Uh, if you like watching TV shows and movies and, uh, and you don't like spoiler alerts, just plug your ears for a minute. Uh, spoiler alert, Nehemiah helps rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and revival happens in God's people. <laughs> All right? So that's where we're going in this series. So I, I want you to know kind of the end in mind. But here's the thing. God in this moment, although Nehemiah knew what had already happened, he has this moment of revelation where God put a heavy burden on his heart not just of the information that he had, but now God struck to his heart and burdened his heart over what was happening. You see, revival always starts in the heart of people. I want you to hear that again. Revival, which is a work of God in and through his people and in the earth, always starts in the heart of people. And here God chose Nehemiah to do a convicting and a burdening work in his heart to draw him to a place where something would be done about it. So I wonder for you, what's that look like in your life? What are the things in your life that are just burdens, things that you think are broken in this world, things that you think are wrong in this world, that when you hear about it, it upsets you, it bothers you, it leads you to a place of conviction and maybe even righteous anger that this is wrong and somebody has to do something about this. I wonder for you, what are some of those things in this earth and in this life and in your life that cause you to carry that burden? What are those things? I'm sure for some of you, uh, especially now that there's a really popular movie around that's talking about this even more. I know that many of you have a burden over human trafficking happening across the world. You know that there are young boys and young girls and, and even men and women who are taken into sex slavery and put into work and basically people never see them again. And there are many of you that have seen these things and it just completely breaks your heart. And you would say, somebody has to do something. What are we doing? How do we just let this keep happening? Uh, maybe others of you have a really heavy burden around abortion. And the fact that right here, just in our, like right here, right outside of Maiden in Charlotte, the, the largest abortion clinic in the entire nation sits right here, right outside of our city at Latrobe Healthcare Center. Uh, over the last five years, over a million babies aborted in that building right here, right outside of our city. I know that many of you are like devastated over that. You're brokenhearted over that. Some of you put some of that into action because you serve and work with uh, Heartbeats, which is a local pregnancy ministry here in town and, and things like that. But I, I wonder for you, what are these things that burden you, that break your heart? Maybe you look at all the abortion stuff and things like that, and even children, and you're like, yo, we got to do something, and you're burdened over the foster care system. The fact that, man, we say we want these children, but we got to provide a place for them. We got to find a house for them. We got to take care of them. What does that look like? Other burdens that I think some of you have, you look at our health care system, and you think, man, this is broken. Man, this is messed up. Something's not right here. Maybe you look at the public education system and you say, man, this is not working. We have to do something different. What are the burdens that you carry? Maybe it's for homelessness. 
Man, there, 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 is a, there is a shelter and a home right here in our, in, right here in Maiden that is helping work on these things. So I just wonder, I'm just, I'm putting these things out there, I'm putting them into the earth. I just want to give uh, language to maybe for you, what are some of the things that burden you? That when you hear about it, it upsets you. There's a weight on your shoulders. There's a, there's a conviction in your heart that says, that's not right. Something is not okay about this. I feel like I've got to do something about it. I wonder for you, what, what are those things? I'd love for you, if you've never considered those things, I'd love for you to consider that for a moment. What are the things that break your heart? And I know some of you guys are thinking, well, I, I don't really know. Um, I don't really know what I'm called to do. I don't know if there's really, uh, I don't know how to define that. I'm not really sure. I'm kind of busy. I got children. I got lots of things going on. I, I don't know. I don't really have a burden. I don't really have something that I feel like I'm called to be a part of. So here's what I want to do with the rest of our time today is I want to help give you some language to grab hold of that like Nehemiah, God can call you to something for his purpose. I have a, a, a formula that I want to share with you today, and oftentimes when I talk to people about a calling, they don't really know what that means, and I've got a simplified version uh, formula for this. Here's, here's the formula for what I think you can understand your calling looks like. It's this. It's a burden plus an opportunity, and that equals your calling. A burden plus an opportunity, that equals a calling. See, a lot of people are like, oh, man, I feel like I, I, I need to help out around the church. I feel like I'm supposed to help out in this area. I feel like I've got a conviction around this, but I don't really know. I don't really know. What am I called to? Man, just slow down. Simplify it. What are the burdens of your heart? What are the things that God has burdened your heart with, the things that break your heart? What are those things? And then what are the opportunities that you've been given to do something about it? It's a calling. Real simple, right? I wanted to try to make it simple for you because a lot of times this gets complicated and we make things harder than they have to be. So for me, I'll just kind of lay this out for you so you can hear a little bit of mine. So I have some burdens. This is, I feel like I'm called to pastor and to lead and to preach and to do that through home church. How, do, how did I get to that place? Well, for me, there's some burdens that, that weigh heavy on my heart that lead me to weeping. Uh, number one is this, I hated church as a kid. <laughs> I know it's not really nice for pastors to say that, but I did. I, I hated church as a kid. I, handled, I hated flannel board Jesus. I hated the, uh, the pink Kool-Aid every single week. Like, I just, it was just not fun for me. And so then I wouldn't go to children's church, so I'd go to big church, and I'd get in trouble, and I'd be throwing blankets, and my mom would pinch me, and then I'd be mad, and I'd be bruised. Like, I hated church, right? As I grew up and, and I met Jesus and I started to see my friends and a family and folks that I spent a lot of time with who were far away from God, I had a burden over my heart that they needed what I had, that they were lost and they were dying and they were dying and they were going to hell because they didn't have a relationship with Jesus. That broke my heart. I also see what's happening in our culture and I've seen the downfall of our society starting in our homes where dads are either non-existent, uh, we, we have single, single mother homes, or if we do have a dad around, man, he's busy working, he's doing all these things, and the downfall of society is starting in our homes, and that is wrong. And I wanted to do something about it. So the opportunities God gave me were a couple. Number one is he gave me the gift to lead and to teach. I, I don't know why. 
I got to be honest with you, man. Standing up here every week, sweating, like preparing, do all, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know why we do this all the time. But there's something he put in me that actually desires to want to do this. Um, he put an opportunity in front of me to plant home church. There were people around me who believed in the vision and believed in me and said, yo, we wanna, we wanna go with you. I don't know why. Man, I, I look at some of them in my staff meetings still today, I'm like, yo, you, you sure? You sure? <laughs> Another opportunity that he gave me was just this right here. Man, the ability to stand and communicate to people God's word in a practical way that we can all take and apply. Man, I'm not very good at many things in this life, but one thing I feel like God has given me an opportunity is to be plain spoken. I am not a smart man, <laughs> as Forrest Gump would say. And I had a really difficult time in my early days of being a follower of Jesus taking God's word, understanding it, and applying it. And I feel like God has given me a spirit and eyes to take his word and to just be real and genuine and authentic and take it around and turn around and communicate it to you and help you see it in a simple, understandable, practical way for you to grab hold of it, build your faith, and walk it out. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's what he gave me. So, so here we go. I, I feel like I'm called to pastor and lead and teach and, and, and shepherd and and we have home church, and we have all these things put together. This is the calling of God on my life. And my family and I have given our life to it. We've given our life to it. This is, this is it. Like, this is it for me. Like, this thing doesn't work. Y'all leave. I don't know, man. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I don't know. I have bet my life on this calling. So my question for you is, what does this look like for you? What does it look like for you? What are the burdens that God has put on your heart? What are the things that just shake you up, that just, it ain't right? Somebody's got to do something about that. And what are the opportunities that God has given you to practically go and do something about it? I wanna share with you then what this looks like for our church. We're gonna walk through this series looking at the book of Nehemiah and it's gonna be awesome and God's gonna do some really powerful things but I also wanna let you know that God has been doing a wild work in me and in us as a church over the last six months. And I believe God's given me some fresh vision and some fresh direction for us to run in as a church over, these, over this next fall. And I wanna lay some of that out to you in this series as well, piece by piece. So it's important that you're here. It's important that you come along. I believe God wants to do a work in your heart. I believe he wants to reveal things to you and in your walk and in your journey. But I also believe he wants to call you in to come be a part of what he's doing in the earth through this house. So for us, the calling of home church starts with our burdens, right? We, we, we just talked about a little bit of it. We see that at the end of the day, we've seen that when there is a good, healthy house, that everything flows from it. So we wanna equip, we wanna pour into, we wanna give the opportunity for mamas and daddies to be the pastors of their house. 
we believe that the church starts in the home. And so that's our burden. We believe we're called to do something about that. We also see a culture and very honestly and very lovingly, I look at a town that is full of religion and tradition. The greatest assembly that will happen in this town isn't on a Sunday morning. It is on a Friday night on a football field. Are you insane? What are we doing? That is the religion of this town. This, what you are sitting in, is not a Mecca for God's glory. This place serves as a Mecca for this town for its religion. Oh, I know I'm going to upset a few of you. But there's something wrong about it. And there's something wrong about this town that is so full of tradition that the good news of Jesus has no stronghold here. It has no footprint here because all we care about are buildings and tradition. We don't actually care about the work of Jesus moving in and through people's lives here. That breaks my heart. It's not right. Not on my watch. Yo, not on our watch, home church. We've been on a crazy wild journey that's led us to this place right here for a purpose. And I believe we're about to step into it. Another burden over us is that I see all over the place that there are people searching, searching, begging, looking for hope. (laughs) And they go everywhere else for it, but the place that I know that it will be. We have to do a better job of telling the story of hope and telling people where we know that they can find it. We also have a burden over the fact that for two and a half years as a church, We're still an infant. And for a lot of those years, we've honestly, we've just been surviving. We've just been surviving, man. We've been nomadic, moving from place to place. We've been financially just scraping by. Some of you guys know this, but there was a time last year where we were in such a difficult place. Like, I didn't even take a check for three and a half months. Like, we've been scraping by. And that's not the way. That's not the way. It's not right. And so here are the opportunities I feel like God is putting in front of us as a house, us as a gathered body of believers. Here are the opportunities. One is that we have an opportunity to raise up mamas and daddies to be the pastors of their house. We have an opportunity to raise up men and women to lead in their house, whether there's children, grandchildren, or they're just there by themselves, that we would teach them and train them and equip them in the ways of the Lord, that they would lead their house and their family in the ways of the Lord. We have an opportunity to do that, and we're going to do that. We we have an opportunity to reach people who are far from God. We have something really special happening here because, man, we have a cool thing where this is the new thing in town, where people are showing up just to peek and to see. Some people are coming and sliding in just to see, well, how are they doing it? And I can't believe they're meeting in our school, and I can't believe there's church and God together in the school, and how's all that? And people are sliding in every single week. We had over 300 guests in our first six months, and I'm going to tell you, coming up in the fall, we're going to see even more than that slide in these doors, and here's what I can tell you. Many of them think they know about Jesus and God, but they don't actually know him. They are as lost as they can be. And we will have an opportunity to a tradition-filled town to speak Jesus in a powerful, relevant way and show them the good news of the gospel and point to them 
hope that they can find every single week. Every single day, hope is on offer. We will teach people how to follow Jesus as they live, calling each and every one to a higher standard. This is not going to be a church that you can just slide in and slide out and be nominal. It just ain't it. I love you, but it ain't it. It ain't my way. I can't do it. I can't lead a group of people who just want to show up and do church. We will continue to call you to a higher standard because that's the standard that the word lays out for being a disciplined follower of Jesus. We just will. So in that way, we're gonna continue to see some people come in and slide right back out. And some of you sitting here today are gonna hear that and you're like, yo, I ain't in for it. Awesome. I know some really great churches right around town that'll let you slide in and out, won't bother you. That ain't this, right? We are called to live out this gospel that has changed our life. And what that means is as we move from being a believer to a disciple, it changes what we do. It changes how we act, it changes how we think. This will be a house where people are full of generosity, hospitality, love, and grace, and it will radiate out of this place because it will radiate in and out of you. This, the opportunity we have is that this will be known as a house of hope. That people all around the area, from Hickory to Lincolnton to Cheryl's Ford, and we got some friends even traveling from Mooresville and people from Denver and all over are gonna know. They don't know where they can find hope, but here's what I can promise you. Every single Sunday, you can guarantee to your friends, family, and coworkers that if they are looking for hope, if they walk in those back doors, every single Sunday, we will present hope to them in the form of Christ Jesus, our Lord. The only thing and the only one who can actually offer anybody any hope anyways. This will be a house of hope. And here's the cool part. We are no longer a church who is just surviving. We aren't. We're, we are a thriving church. We are a growing church. God has done a miraculous work. Honestly, he started in me. I told you that revival starts in the heart of people. Last January, I had a moment where I sat with our elders and I sat with some of our leaders in our church in December and I told them, I don't know if we're gonna make it another few months. Yo, I've done all I can. I've willed this thing and pushed this thing and drug it as far as I can. And me and God, we didn't, like, we had a problem. He had a problem with me because I wasn't being dependent on him and I had a problem with him because I didn't know if I could trust him. And I finally had a moment in January where I had an angry conversation with God and I said, this is your house, you build it, I'm tired. I got nothing else to give. For two and a half years, I've given all I've got. I've drugged this thing as far as I can drag it. I've willed it as much as I can. I've sweat as much as I can. God, I got nothing left. If you're gonna build this house, you're gonna have to do it. I'll show up, I'll be faithful, I'll lead to the best of my ability, but God, if you wanna do a work here, you gotta do the work here. And I truly did give it to him in that moment. I'm sad to say it took me two years to do that. But for the last six months, I've been operating in a place of trust that this is God's house. And if he wants to build it, he'll build it. Whoever he wants to bring here, he'll bring here. But he's called me to preach truth, unashamedly, 
boldly, practically, relevantly, and with love and compassionate, and to do it by actually knowing you. Knowing your name, knowing your story, being in relationship to you. There's still a little bit of that tradition to me. I still walk around and shake your hand and say hello. Like, I'm probably never going to give that up. But that shift has been happening. And I, I just want to tell you that the word that the Lord gave me that we are moving from is we are moving from surviving. And home church, I came to tell you today that it's time to advance. It is time for us to move forward. It is time for us to advance God's kingdom without worry, without shame, with conviction and with burden that our town needs us. Our town needs our church and our town needs me and you to play a part in it. We have a part to play. We are no longer surviving. It is time to advance. And so this is the word that the Lord gave me for us. I want you to hear this. It's time for us to take the town. Now, that might sound a little crazy. Take the town? What, what do you mean? Like, home church going to take the town? Nah. Mm -mm. Now, we're going to be a part of it. But we're going to take the town, not for our glory, but for God's glory. Not for our glory, but for Jesus' glory. Oh, but I got good news for you, home church. As we operate for his glory, he's going to work for our good. And it's going to be an unbelievable time. No longer are we just going to survive and scrape by and be worried about who gets upset and who doesn't like this and that. I got news for you. God has made me a bold leader to lead confidently. And I don't know if you've seen a shift in me if you've been around for the last six months, but that time of worry is over. I am done with that. God has called me to lead us boldly to where we're going next. And where we're going next is we're going to take the town. And here's the cool part, and here's the thing that I'm excited about, is because it starts in the heart of men and women. God wants to do a work in our town, but it starts in the heart of men and women. I believe that today, the Holy Spirit of God wants to stir something in you, something that burdens you, something that he shows you that you have to do something about. He's given you gifts, and he's gonna give you opportunities, and in your own ways and in your own lives, God's gonna give you kingdom work to be about kingdom work. Don't be afraid of it. You are called. If he gave you a burden, he's going to give you an opportunity. You are going to be called to kingdom work. Step into it, believer. That's what God has for you. But here's the cool part and the thing I love is that God has also put burdens and opportunities on us as a church. And so I want to lay out to you very clearly the calling of home church. It's so simple in so many ways. Starting with individual hearts, we will see changes in homes that will ultimately change this town and then the next town and then the next town. It's gonna start in your house. It's gonna start in your heart. Revival starts in you and will radiate and work through us and ultimately we will see our town changed. We will see the pieces that we find rubble in our town and in our lives move from rubble to revival. We're gonna talk about that through this whole series. And so I want you to get ready. This fall, Maiden, get ready. Because Jesus is gonna take this town. And home church, he's gonna use us to be a part of doing it. I pray that that encourages you. I pray that excites you. I pray that that gives you some vision 
towards what we're working towards and what we're gonna be about. We're gonna talk more about it over this series. But I also pray that God is doing a stirring work in your heart right now. He's revealing to you the burdens and the opportunities that he's got for you because you have a part to play. So what about you? What are those burdens? What are the things that, that God has revealed to you that when he brings them to your mind, when you hear about it, that it breaks your heart? Something's not right about it. You gotta do something about it. What is that? And I know because he's been faithful to do it from the beginning and he continues to do it today that God will give you opportunities for you to take your burdens and practically put your hand to the plow to see them be fixed. You have a calling on your life. We have a calling on our life as a church. And friends, if you're not already walking in it, it's time to step into it. Home church, it's time for us to take the town. That's where we're going this fall. And there's gonna be a lot of things coming and a lot of things that God's gonna work in and he's gonna do it through you. He's gonna do it through you. So here's what I'll leave you with today. Nehemiah's story is one from a rubble to revival where God took one man and gave him a burden and a conviction and an opportunity to do something about it. And then ultimately God led this one man to lead the people. And then we'll see at the end of this story, revival happening. Not only was the wall rebuilt, but God's people were brought back into the holy city and revival happened and it literally shook the earth. That's what we're gonna see. And I believe we're gonna see that happen in and through our town as well. And so here's our prayer, right? I want you to hear this. Here's the prayer of home church. Here's what we're praying we will see happen. That spiritually, we will see people move from rubble to revival. That we will see souls move from rubble, being broken, lost, to being found, revival. That we will see your lives and people's lives that feel like they are crumbling and broken and, and falling apart. That we would see rubble turn to revival. That we would see marriages that feel like they're crumbling and rubblish that they would be revived, that we would see dreams and visions and hope come back to life and come to revival, that we would see healing in people's, not only their hearts, but in their bodies, and that we would see miracles. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If there's anything that we can do to serve you or come alongside of you in your journey, please reach out. You can reach us at hello at myhomechurch.cc.